it. Uh, so tonight is episode 30 of the Haunted Hacker podcast, and we have Clint Bogdunchen and Ryan Williams is our co-host, and of course me, and there's Nomad. Hey. <laughs> Had to, we had to isolate into the uh, the lab in the podcast studio because our connection um, won't support two people. So it's kind of like a welfare line. So anyways, it supports a uh, lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so let's go over uh, some news for the week. Um, so I, I won't say the C word. Uh, and I'll have it. Uh, but they had a drinking game. Every time we say colonial, everybody take a drink or whatever advice you have in front of you. Uh, anyways, so found out this week that Darkseid actually um, does other things besides ransomware. And they're not uh, one of those blind um, kind of shooting the dark type of groups that, that um, hopes to throw a net and grab grab some uh, networks and some cash. Uh, they actually have some, some MO behind it. They have a, a method of operation. Um, it's not just a uh, cast and forget. Those guys actually plan these attacks. And with the attacks that they plan, it's multifaceted, right? So it's not just ransomware. It's actually a network attack as well, which is very rare for, for ransomware. Um, Hello. <laughs> awesome connection. How you doing, man? I can't find the mute button. <laughs> I'm not sure if we've lost him. Are you still there, Mike? I think that's a negative. How are you anyway, Clint? Good? Man, you know what? It's a Saturday. I'm day drinking. The kids are out somewhere else doing something else. The wife's out doing someone else. You know, I'm, I'm just kidding. The kids are probably around here somewhere. <laughs> um, should we roll on with this or wait for Mike to get back? All right, Clint, do you, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, like your, your history, how you got to where you are now? My history, man. So when a woman and a man get really drunk. No, okay. Not, I won't start that far back, right? <laughs> Um, I don't know, man. I, uh, the brief rundown, I've, I've read your CV. It's, it's long. It's long. Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how long you want me to get and how much you want me to talk. I mean, long story short, I've been doing this for more than 25 years, started in the, uh, in the air force and, um, I immediately got out as soon as I was allowed. Uh, my first gig was Symantec writing code for the IDS and doing SQA work. And then I don't know. It was just like a, from there, just, uh, it just kind of get right place, right time, or wrong place, wrong time, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, ended up getting into industrial cybersecurity, ICS and SCADA. Back, back then, everything was SCADA. And uh, even it, 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 not really, but I mean, that's what everybody called it. It doesn't matter. And it was industrial control systems. It was DCS. Doesn't matter. It's all SCADA. And, um, but I, I, that was about 2003. And I got into that and then uh, kind of never looked back. I kind of stayed in, into the industrial. I was hoping one day, hey, this is a good market. It's going to pan out. This is, I'm going to make a lot of money here. I'm still waiting for that. But um, yeah. you know, but I'm thinking maybe uh, 
the C word. Uh, maybe these guys helped me out. I don't know. Stuxnet didn't help me. I, you should all probably drink for saying Stuxnet, but uh, you know, that didn't help me, but uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. We'll see, man. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a fun gig. It's, it's one of those areas where uh, you, you can be the one eyed King in the land of the blind, you know, people think you're really good and you're a real hacker, but you really don't know shit. So um, it's just, it, that's just the kind of the industry, man. It's like, they're still finding out what firewalls are. So um, that's, that's kind of my, my, I mean, I've worked for a lot of different places and all. I work for Kaspersky, I work for Symantec and I can name drop all these places, but I mean, I think, um, you know, we're, we're all kind of in the same boat, right? We all, we all been doing infosec or cybersecurity we've all done things we're all cool so um you know I'm, I'm no more important than anybody else my claim to fame is um you know i don't know if uh it was posted in the bio or whatever but so i was the lead author for uh, hacking exposed industrial control systems because that's my thing industrial control systems but i mean i, I mean hacking exposed really should be called uh, script kitties exposed right because there's nothing really revolutionary in any of those books um, it's just, it, it's a, it's just a list of like, Hey, here's some cool stuff to do. Here's some cool tools to run. Um, but it, it helped my career. So I'll take it. And then, um, the only cool thing I'm really doing, Oh, speaking Ryan, sorry. Um, dude, you asked, I, I got a key for you. You said you're, you know, you, you, I, you <laughs> wanted it. I, I meant to do it today and I got busy. Um, I was busy doing other things and, uh, you know, and, but I got a key for you. I'll give you a key. In fact, anybody here want a key? Just let me know. I'll throw you some free keys if you don't want to spend the damn eight bucks. Do you want, do you want uh, to tell them what you're actually what you're talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was going to, but I wanted to I wanted to take care of you first. Um, Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah, that. So um, <laughs> no, so I guess my my you know I've kind of gotten out of the pen testing and the the hard coding and the research and all that to do something a lot more important like writing a video game, and uh, and so uh, that was my that has been my my besides being a ninja, my my kid dream was being. Uh, a game developer, you know, every, that's what YouTube nowadays, right? Everybody on YouTube, all the, like the millennial, uh, our millennial generation um, is doomed because the only viable jobs for millennials nowadays is professional gamer, maybe game developer, uh, YouTuber or life coach, right? I mean, that's, that's what millennials do now. And so, um, but anyway, so I got my, my dream and I said, you know, how can I be a game developer and also make a cybersecurity salary? So uh, we started doing gamification, but real gamification. But back in about 2013, uh, one of the co-authors on Hacking Exposed, Aaron Shabib and I, we started working on like actually turning real games, not this whole like Jeopardy crap or, um, you know, or like a trivia glorified CBTs, but like real, real games, you know, like, like taking like um, uh, Uplink or or um or hacknet or uh hacker evolution but making it real like we're i mean like you really learn it's based off real concepts and nothing is fiction so that's what we did so we got a game uh on steam now that's the 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 it's the community version but it's paid it's uh on steam it's called red versus blue Th uh, threat gen red versus blue and and so that's kind of what i've been doing the last four years really and um i mean we got professional versions and we got stuff for universities and we do LMS integration, all that. But I mean, the, the cool thing is it's just a game, right? It's, it's it. It's just a game. It's, and it's all based off of the entire anatomy of attack kill chain for red team. And the cool thing is, is that it's like, like, it's not command line. Um, anybody can do it. I mean, my wife and kids are playing it, right? It's all point and click, but you're, it, it's, it's upholding the integrity of everything, right? I mean, you got to do research. You got to match the vulnerabilities with the exploit. You got to build the exploit. Um, 
You have to find the track the IP addresses, figure out what subnet it's in, and all of this on the red team. And so on the blue team, same thing. You, know, you got to pay it, patch every damn thing. You got to, it's, it's, it's very granular, but it's just point and click. So anybody can do it. So that's, that's our claim to fame. That's what we're talking about. And Ryan said he wants a key. Cause so, so how many times do the red team win and the blue team loses? Is, is it, is it lopsided? Because it should be red wins more than blue. Depends on the update. <laughs> it depends on where the bugs are uh, for the most part. And, but ultimately the, the AI that we have, so the AI is, is really, it's, it's kind of monolithic right now. And we're, we're building in uh, more profiles for third quarter, but um it, the blue team just follows best practices and it does the best thing it can do at the time. The red team follows red team best practices and it does the best thing it can do at the time. So red team is a little lopsided, but here's the thing. Like if you're really inexperienced with red team, but somebody's really experienced with blue team, it does shift properly because it, it does follow the evolution of um, an immature network. So in the beginning, phishing attacks work really easy. Password attacks work really easy. Um, but as you get through the game, and if the blue team knows what they're doing, they close that down. Then all of a sudden, the red team has problems. They have to pivot and they have to shift where their attack goes. So it's it it follows realistic paradigms. Very cool. So you often Very this cool. Is, oh, sorry, sorry, Mark, you go. No, go ahead, back, man. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's nice to be back. I'll I'll see how long this lasts. Um, thanks to our our connection, and I want to give a shout out really quick to Nomad Internet. You guys are terrible. Um, anyways no, no relation by the way <laughs> no relation yeah um yeah so that sounds like a really cool game it, it reminds me do you remember the uh the old uh mad comic i think it was spy versus spy, spy, versus spy. Oh, yeah 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 so so when i was looking at the the logo i was like oh that's kind of cool it reminds me of old school spy versus spy um so the exploits you guys get for the game you know inside the game where do you guys get the exploits from oh they're not that real they're not now that, oh, no. yet, okay. yet, 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 yet. So they're based off of real, like real premise, right? So uh, real life. So we're, we, we do create, create like, um, you know, RFI, LFI, SQL injection or getting into, or, or um, memory injection, DLL, whatever, you know, it, we, we, we have a granular list of vulnerabilities that are anywhere from web-based to memory-based or whatever. And, but it's only in name. Um, we're not that granular yet. Like I said, it's point and click. And the important part of the game is to teach the concepts, get people familiar with, you know, what is right. a memory corruption error? What is an integer overflow? And, and, and what's the fix for that, right? As opposed to real exploits, there's nothing, nothing command line, nothing executed in the game, nothing real. So it's not going to be like a CTF where you're really having to do things to solve puzzles or anything like that. It's not a real pen test. Cool. Cool. That's awesome. Um, so the the platform, have you guys thought about incorporating like framework into the red versus blue? Um, I, I haven't played the game, so I don't, I don't really know. But like, it shouldn't be too difficult to put the framework, Metasploit framework into the game. Um, have you guys thought about that? So really where we're aspiring to go is Armitage in a video game, which is Metasploit, awesome. which is a UI for... Or, you know, right. you guys know it's a UI for Metasploit, really. That's where we're going with it. And we're moving cool. there closer and closer because you can like click on an asset and see all the things you can do that to that asset. But since we're not at command line level yet, you're not going to have that command line visibility like you do in Armitage. Um, but we're getting there. We are going to start to get some command line 
uh, for the next level. Like, like it's probably maybe in version two, but eventually we're going to get to that, that next level to where it's like, you got to do some command line stuff to do it rather than just push a button. Very cool. Yeah. That, that'll give it a, like a taste of like uh, the real world and kind of reality kind of train people for what they're going to run into in the future. Yeah. Um, yes. So I've done a, a good bit of CTFs. Um, they're a lot of fun, but the fact that you could do it on a game would be a lot of fun. Just be able to download that, that platform and, and just randomly, you know, spark it up and then start playing. Um, I guess really cool. So well, that's like just now, one thing real quick on this real quick. If you don't mind like yeah. the CTF thing. That's one thing uh, we tried to get away from. Right. We tried to yeah. like the thing about a CTF Ooh. is it's more like a scavenger hunt. Right. And so we wanted it to really be a true red versus blue. Like we wanted it to put person against person, not just like race to the highest points, but like, I'm going to hack your shit. And that's, that's what we wanted to get into. Yeah. So that's kind of what we were planning on doing as far as our certification and our online type uh, knowledge transfer. Right. So we teamed with range force to do uh, some modules uh, for their platform. Um, mostly ICS stuff and, and SCADA. Uh, but the way that the way that we're going to engineer it is so it's it's like a football game, right? Uh, you know, you get get to play offense for a little bit and then you get to play defense for a little bit and points are scored and it's just like a CTF, but instead of you know running after you know keys in a kingdom, you're gonna run into a blue team to get those keys. Uh, so I mean it's same same kind of concept. A lot of the CTFs I've seen um, like the team CTFs, uh, there is quite a bit of offensive defense back and forth and, and, you know, some, some pretty heavy competition, especially like at the DEF CON CTFs and, and the, the cyber range there. It's kind of cool. Um, so is there any, what, what's your future plans for the, the development of the game? Do you plan on hitting other platforms um, other than, you know, the steam or, or, yeah, so we're going to, we'll, we'll probably launch on Epic. I mean, that's a natural next progression right there. Um, we, yeah. we were supposed to have it out on uh, Android and iOS a long time ago. Like we, we have an Android version of the game for tablets, but it's um, mainly for, it's a special order thing uh, because it's not fine tuned, mm-hmm. but we plan on releasing on Android and iOS, but there's some um, UI issues that we're having. But one, mm-hmm. when, when we release 1.6, there's a lot of changes and updates that are coming out that we wanted to wait until we got all these changes. Because this is really, <laughs> pun intended, but it's a game changer for the game um, that with the next update, a lot of stuff coming out. And so um, we, we just want to make sure that uh, like all the best stuff is out there before we start going cross-platform. Uh, we just got approved from Nintendo Switch or from Nintendo to do Nintendo Switch nice. development, which is a perfect nice. platform because it's touch screen as well and everything like that. So that's going to be the first console we're releasing on is Nintendo Switch because the um, like right now the game is pretty limited. I mean, if you really get right down to it, I'm not going to lie. Like we're basically got away with getting paid to do early access, right? I mean, we're in early access. We've been in early access for a year and a half and people are still buying the game. So it was an accident. We didn't mean to screw people, but it just turned out that way because I didn't know what early access was. I didn't know any of this stuff on Steam. But uh, so regardless, 1.6 is probably the version that's coming out that's supposed to be like what the game was really supposed to be, where it has really good replay value and all that. So uh, when that comes out, uh, and I'll, I'll probably give a bunch of free shit to all the people who bought it a long time ago, just because it's like, man, I'm sorry guys. I didn't mean to screw you, but, um, but anyway, so we'll probably do that. But when that comes out, we'll, we'll go multi-platform. And then when, uh, so one of the biggest plans we have is we're creating an RTS version of the game so that we can, uh, we have some big plans. We've actually been uh, working with some departments in Microsoft 
um, they want to take something like a kind of a hacking game uh, into like, uh, I mean, think mo like a MOBA, but uh, multi-online battle arena, like Dota for hackers. But um, nice. but so we've got some plans to go um, do some real-time stuff there and where you can switch it into, and just make it bigger, multi-team and all kinds of stuff to where you can go esports with it. So we have a, a, we have a big write-up coming out in the next couple of months. So we have big plans to go esports with it and just like see how online hacking um, or the kind of the hacking image and gameplay works uh, with esports. Yeah, that, that's kind of that's kind of the goal that we had for for our platform as well was go to like an EA uh, like electronic sports type type venue, yeah. um, and that's eventually we want to do that. Um, but I think that'll be after we create like we're going to create an ICS uh, kind of skate of village like a physical. Yeah. Um, oh, he's, he's turning into a robot. Um, Thank you, Mr. Hawking. It was yeah. Yeah. We were going to agree. Robot. Anyway. Um, so the, um, while he's stuttering there and going offline, I was going to tell you that. So like the guys that range force, um, so they're partnered up with the Georgia tech and the guys that, um, uh, I forgot the name of their company. They spun off from that, but it's the guys at Georgia Tech that had the digital twin stuff and everything. Oh, you're back. Uh, kind of. Are you back? Are you back? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm back. Okay. Kind of. Yeah. So I forgot. Uh, if if yeah. I um, forgot the name of the guys. But it's uh, Range Force was partnered with the Georgia Tech guys that created the ICS Digital Twins and all that stuff. Um, and those guys are cool. They know their stuff. And we were actually talking to them at one point, too. And um, just the whole COVID thing just derailed our conversations. Yeah. Back, Mark. Hey, there he is. Yeah, we're here again. Um, I'm going to shut my video off so we don't suck up bandwidth. <laughs> Anyways. So, um, Clint, tell us, tell us about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis as far as like ICS goes. So nowadays I would say, I mean, for the most part, my job is outside of like a few sales meetings and business development, uh, some running the company stuff. Uh, I actually kind of have another person doing most of the CEO stuff. Um, it's, it's working with the dev team on red versus blue and um, working, just working with that. I mean, that's the main thing. Um, the, my company does have a services division and I haven't done actual ICS OT services in, well, since two years, whenever Ryuk hit, or Ryuk, however you wanna pronounce it. I'm a gamer, so it's Ryuk. Mm -hmm. um, but right. um, when, uh, when Ryuk hit the pipelines, uh, we worked five different incident responses there and that's the last time that I did any actual technical field work in ICS was, uh, was in, I guess it was 2019, um, doing cool. IR for those. And, but now, I mean, literally I, I hired the right guys. I have a services team and those guys are managing all the customers on the services. And I managed to scam my way into just sitting in a dark hole, writing code, playing video games for a living. That's, nice. that's, that's pretty awesome. That's like ideal. Um, so Ryan, Yo. what is your, what is your take on red versus blue? Have you played the game yet? No, I haven't played it yet. I, I did a little bit of light stalking and uh -huh. it looks, uh, looks pretty good. 
turn-based game. Um, and like you said, just point, point and click. But um, yeah, you couldn't really get much detail out of the the, the, the little blurb thing on stream on Steam. Yeah, maybe I should. I have nice a, like, a full video. Demo. I have a full demo and a walkthrough that I can put the video on there too. Because yeah, it's all just Steam tells you it's like, oh, you can't have long videos and you can't have all this and everything like that. So you can't put any detail. But I'll probably link to the the full walkthroughs that we do have on there. But um, but yeah. Yeah, it looks, it looks good though. Looks good. Very cool. Have you had anybody tried to hack the game yet? <laughs> so we have this beta tester and uh, he's this cool dude, this kid, he's out of Poland. He's awesome. Um, he's a college kid and he's, he's like, a, he's like the little puppy that wants to hump your leg all the time. Um, he's just so excited and he's just, he's just always overachieving, man. He, and um, he, he's the only one, he's the one that tries to hack the game. He's always, he's, he's got these scripts that he writes and these macros that he runs and he mm -hmm. finds all these patterns. He's actually found patterns in our freaking uh, our, in our random number generator. It's oh, wow. um, like, I mean, he's found patterns in, so he's like the one that's hacking the game. He's, he's finding ways to, um, to, he, I'm not going to say actually, we don't have so far, uh, we don't have any actual vulnerabilities on our web portal um, to reports the analytics because the pro version reports analytics, but he's found ways to, you know, use burp suite and, and alter values and play with it and do stuff like that. He's found ways to kind of manipulate the AI because we are building an API. And he, so he did find, um, he did find some, some code in the game use where he, if he used a debugger, um, he could actually manipulate the, the API that's in there, but we never release the public. You know, I mean, it's like, I guess if any of your software developers, software engineers, a lot of times, um, so we're not using a Git, GitHub. We're, we don't have a Git branching like that. We're just using the Unity uh, collab system. And so we can't branch code. So we're taking a really amateur approach and we'll write code and we'll just turn it off and we'll come. <laughs> so here, I'm big reveal here, uh, but like there's features in the game that are there that it's just turned off. Um, so I encourage any of you and, and um, to like, if you have the Steam version, I mean, if you could decompile it and play with it, you could turn features on in the game that aren't there yet just by flipping the right bits because um, we're not branching it with GitHub. We're literally just turning it off in the game and compiling a build and hiding it from the user. So, I mean, people could hack it. And that's kind of what he's done. He's figured it out and he's done all this stuff. So on our Discord, he talks about it on the Discord channel. So it's kind of cool. Oh, you guys have a Discord for the game? Yeah. I'll put a link up for that now. Are you back, Mike, or are you still floating around? Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. I'll be floating back and forth, so don't mind. Don't mind the ghost in the corner. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, so what do you think? I'm gonna I'm gonna do the the unthinkable. I'm gonna ask you about Colonial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because, because there, there's so many different uh there, there's so many different things with colonial that that i don't think is has been completely accurate um was that your final question yes i believe there are so many things you don't think are accurate next question Mike, are you there, buddy? Negative. So tell me something, tell me, Colonial. So should I tell you something you don't know about Colonial? 
You should. You shouldn't be. Uh, I don't even know. Uh, so here's some things. Yeah. Um, so some really good buddies of mine uh, were some of the. I'm actually, I'm actually going to. What? What? Oh, Mike's calling in. All right. Well, um, I guess it's a process. Yeah. So you've been made the host. Oh, I've been made the host. Oh, excellent. Yeah, okay. So yeah. tell us something we don't know about Colonial. Yeah. Um, I wish I, I mean, I don't know what you know, but I mean, uh, there's nothing that I know that's not public, but um, so one of the last guests on the show, uh, Chris Sistrunk, like one of the last, I mean, what, two, three weeks ago, something like that. Yeah, two weeks ago, yeah. Uh, so Chris Sistrunk, good buddy of mine. We're alma college alma mater buddies. Um, we're good friends. He's out there. So he was one of the guys kind of dealing with that. And of course, most of you probably know Mandiant. Um, was the, they're, they're the ones there Mandy it was a, which is a company of, of uh, fire eye they're the ones that got called to deal with that and uh, rightfully so they're being really tight-lipped and they're not telling anybody anything which is cool but I think um, one of the one of the most telling stories or, or perspectives from this well, I was really surprised I guess I shouldn't be so if you've heard, if you've heard of skata hacker Joe Lanchel, um, and he's kind of been known as the skata hacker He's um, he was on Dale Peterson's podcast, uh, the unsolicited response podcast, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, something like that. It was Rob, I guess Rob Lee was the last one before that was was Langel. and Langel has so much information on pipe the way pipelines work and the operations, you know. And I've I've been dealing with pipelines my entire career, but from a an assessment perspective and from um, from a, a cyber risk management perspective, I've never really. I've never been an engineer. So Joe Lanchel was actually an engineer. One of his first gigs was the pipeline operator. I forgot who he said it was, but he said it on the podcast. And, um, and so on that podcast, he talked a lot about how the billing system works and, and, and how the billing system could actually affect a shutdown. Because one of the things that I did, I addressed on a podcast that I was on and I was speaking from my industry experience, which was, you know, the rumors were that they shut down their systems because the billing system got hit. And so I kind of countered that a little bit with a little bit of chip on my shoulder and said, whoa, 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 hold on. Let me, let me explain this to you how this works. The billing system sits on the enterprise network. The OTN network was not actually hit. And while I do think that the, the billing systems not working and not being able to bill and get the money might have been a business decision. It might have been part of the business decision. Um, my first thought was, I don't think that Colonial was so callous in the fact that we're going to shut down the entire pipeline for the entire East Coast fuel distribution just because we can't get paid. And so and I, my claim was that, well, it's a safety issue. I've dealt with pipeline companies before that have had ransomware like Ryuk, and it did get on their control system network. And then a couple of companies that didn't, and, but they all shifted into manual mode, which basically means they have to get all of their pipeline control, their flow control, their measurements, everything has to go manual. And so, but you can still run, but when it comes to the billing systems, that 
is not just what it sounds. It's not just a, a billing system. It's like, oh, we know how much we're going to get paid. It also has to do with the scheduling. And one thing that was interesting about pipelines is you think, oh, well, this pipeline has natural gas. This pipeline has petroleum. This pipeline has crude. And it doesn't work that way. A lot of different types of products can go through the same pipeline. And so there is an element of scheduling that goes on with that. And the scheduling is also tied to the billing system. And so there's a lot of different reasons about mixing product and those types of hazards and everything that go into, if your billing system goes down, especially your scheduling system goes down, you have to shut down. So it's not about just getting paid. It comes into mixing product. You can't, you can't track whose product is going where. So yeah, little A, little B, right? Little from A, little from B. It's about like, where's your product coming off, come from? Is this product getting mixed? Am I going to give somebody bad product mixed with something the wrong way? And so it's really, it's a lot more complicated than I expected. And so I encourage anyone, if you want to learn more about just kind of like, it's an hour long podcast and it'll probably maybe only about 30 minutes is dedicated to what Joel's talking about, but it's really interesting hearing, hearing Joel's perspective, an actual former pipeline operator turned into cybersecurity expert. Um, that was phenomenal. So that's kind of that. Maybe that's the thing that you don't know about pipeline is like, there's more to the story than what you realize based on the way pipelines work. So do you think they got a bit of a rough deal at how they're being treated by in the media or? Well, yeah, um, I think well, it depends on how you look at it. Right. On one hand, you know, all pop, all pipeline operators um, have been underachieving when it comes to protecting their assets from cyber attacks to some extent. I mean, every pipeline customer I have, except for one, I can, I mean, I only have one pipeline customer out of two. No, I'm just kidding. I only have one pipeline customer um, that has just done a phenomenal job. That is like, you, you guys are better than like bank security. Um, but everybody else in the past, well, and, and of course, now our current customers are really good, but I'm just kidding. Uh, but I mean, all of our, in the past though, they're all just very, um, Hey, it's not regulated. We don't have to do it. It hasn't happened to us yet, so we're not going to do it. It's not, hasn't caused anything catastrophic in, in the rest of pipeline companies, so we're not going to do it. And so, of course, do you want regulations? Because this is how you get regulations. Um, and so that's exactly kind of what's happening, right? Pipe. So Colonial is getting the bad end of the deal only because they're the largest pipeline uh, for the most, I mean, they're 55 hundred miles of pipeline delivering product to the East coast. I mean, uh, for, uh, what was it? 45, 45% of all fuel, uh, from the, uh, on the East coast flows through colonial. So on one hand, they're really no different than any other pipelines in that they, they were doing what was industry norm, unfortunately, but because they are so big and they do have such a, uh, you know, a responsibility delivering that much product to the East Coast that I guess maybe in a way it's kind of um, poetic justice. But but I mean, I think that because it's 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 so visible. Yeah, I, I think anytime anytime you do anything that that is that visible, regardless of I mean, look, I don't think anybody died. You know, I don't think anybody suffered you know, too greatly not getting their fuel. You know, it's not like we went, you know, a year without toilet paper. So, um, you know, I, I do think that um, it was a, this was one of those consequences 
that was fortunate for us, right? As a, as a nation and as a world, for those of you that are in America, um, I think it was very fortunate for us in that there was a consequence that was minimal, but it was enough to make people aware to where now they're going to start start passing regulations to forcing these cybersecurity laws. And I'm a I'm a small government, small regulation kind of guy. But if you know if you can't get people to do what they're supposed to do, then sometimes you have to do some regulation and things like that. But but yeah. So and I forget we have an international audience here. I'm very American. I'm very closed into my own world. But um but I mean but yeah. So I mean I don't know if it was going to have global uh, implications from a from a fuel shortage perspective, probably not, but hopefully it has uh, global implications in a regulation perspective, just to get uh, pipeline operators to do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, that was gonna be my next question. Do you think this is this is the, will be a, a motivating factor in getting other operators to take the whole cybersecurity thing more seriously or, you know, get the, the changes put in place that need to be done? Well, I think like here in America, it will be, right? Because, uh, so President Biden's 100, 100 day um, salvation Cybersecurity Salvation Act, right? Um, you know, it's not going to do anything. It, it's it's still it's encouraging. He's encouraging people to do this and put monitoring and everything like that. Well, that's what the pipe that, that that's what this has been for the past two decades. It's encouraging people to do it. TSA, the Transportation Security Agency, um, pipeline security guidelines, and then the American Petroleum Institute, eleven sixty four. Um, these are two of the governing regulations that aren't even regulations. Are two governing standards um, that control. Um, you know, what, what type of security measures you're encouraged to put in place, right? So now, these are now the these are now going to have bite to them. So unlike the Biden's 100 day cyber initiative, because of colonial, the the TSA pipeline security guidelines are now going to be turned into regulation. So it's going to enforce like you, you have to have assessments now and you have to report that to federal authorities, you have to have a CISO or a security manager you have to report incidents to federal authorities. So it's going to force. Now, going outside of that, I don't know Australian regulations, but I know I think the, I think the UK has the BSI, um, I think. So I don't know what, I, I'm not familiar with the international regulations uh, so much. I've really just operated, even though I've had some international customers, I've operated mostly in the US and even my international customers really kind of went by American standards for the most part, like NIST um, and in, in, uh, NERC and things like that, but but or, or if they're international, like the uh, ISA 99 went to IEC, so the international they went international by going to IEC. Um, so, but for the most part, I don't know how it's going to affect the rest of the world. I think in a lot of ways, it's really weird. Um, some of the in, in some of the aspects I've seen that like, um, like especially in Europe, right? Europe and South America tend to take cybersecurity more serious, but. Um, but are further behind uh, in implementation. Whereas in America, in certain aspects, especially like an electric grid, we're further along in cybersecurity implementation, but it just seems like most American operators don't tend to take it that serious. Um, and so it's really weird. I was, you know, you can't even really say America's leading the charge, you know, in that, because when it comes to mentality, I think Europe and South America are really leading the charge in terms of uh, I'm not leaving Australia yet. I just don't know a lot about Australia. No, we, um, I think, think what's happening down here is the uh, same kind of deal as in the States. At the moment, it's guidelines. And in, I think over the next two years, it's going to be turned to regulations. Um, but I think they've got some new framework in, in, the, like in the works at the moment that's going through trials. But um, yeah, that's about all I know about that. Well, yeah. there's, there's a problem with that, though. There's a, there's a problem with putting regulations and, and you know, 
regulatory committees on top of the infrastructure, because just like hospitals and some of the other uh, industries, you know, they would much rather pay the fine than actually have to do the fucking footwork. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those companies make enough money to where, you know, a couple million dollar fine isn't going to hurt their budget at all. Um, so I th- in my mind, in my opinion, what Biden did was just lip service. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, they wanted a response and they woke him up and, and put him on TV and that's what we got. Um, but I, I do think it's going to get worse before it gets better for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing about like NERC, right? So when going to electric utility, when you have uh, nuclear regulations and electric utility regulations, it's not just about paying the fines. Uh, so if you have an incident and the incident causes so much environmental damage, so much uh monetary damage and especially loss of life, uh, CISOs can go to jail, right? So people, people yeah, can, can be go to jail. So I think yeah, that's, but, that's but how, how often does that happen though? I, I know that they can go to jail, but I've never seen a CISO or anybody from critical infrastructure actually go down for it. Um, I know that in Texas, you know, working for the power company when I was younger and then my dad working for uh, Calpine for a while, um, the ERCOT is a strange beast. So, you know, if people don't know the, the U S infrastructure, the grid, the power grid is not really one grid. And Texas has kind of its own little world. Um, and it was kind of funny because they, they made a point saying, uh, before colonial hacked is that Texas could, you know, stand on their own. They don't need, you know, to be integrated with the grid and their grid is, is solid. Um, and then they went without power in the coldest part of the year uh, last year. Um, so it's just, it's really interesting how that plays out. I, I don't think that we're going to get to kind of a homeostasis until there's really strict regulations, but it's got to be kind of like a global thing. You know, it can't be, you know, hey, you know, you've got a patch, you got to do this. If you fail, we're going to fine you. If you get breached, we're going to throw you in jail. Because people, people will get fined, people will probably get thrown in jail but it's not going to help the overall security. Um, and a lot of it in, and Clint, you know, just as well as I do, the, the, the architecture of the, the grid here in the U S is so legacy, so archaic. And it would take a lot to actually redo that, that system to bring it up to date. Yeah. So like a couple of things you said, number one, um, so people have gone to jail like for different instances. So like, for example, Olympic pipeline had an explosion. Uh, and that was in Germany, I believe, or a year somewhere in Europe, uh, there was an explosion, uh, a few kids died and people went to jail. Right. Um, but right. it goes back to, um, it goes back to actuarials. I mean, yeah, a, a company will throw their own people under the bus if it's cheaper to let you go to jail than, to, uh, you know, but, but <laughs> there's a big part of, there's a big part of, um, aspect of reputation right so at some point um you know brand reputation is the x factor in the risk equation so a lot of the times that is an offset uh for but i mean if if you didn't have you know i guess if you had a an organization that had like a monopoly on the market or a near monopoly right to where public opinion didn't matter then yeah absolutely people would choose like oh it's cheaper to let people die than to fix all this shit or it's cheaper to let somebody go to jail to fix all this shit but because we do right. have a democratized uh community or um commerce or commercial um 
whatever, whatever. We have a commercial. It's an economy, right? It's a democratized economy when it comes to purchasing fuel, right, or anything. Otherwise, it's a monopoly. So, as a result, um, people can boycott. People can, you know, stocks will go down, right? You, you. There is an aspect of brand reputation, which is an X factor. So that's kind of the saving grace a little bit, but. When it comes to like, so the grid is actually five grids, right? And Texas is the only grid that's on its own. Texas is isolated. And the mm-hmm. one thing about that happened about Texas, and this is a little off subject, but I want to answer it since you brought it up. Um, so it was a risk equation, right? Texas said, we're not going to winterize these turbines because the likelihood that it's going to happen is so remote. So the impact, if it does happen, it's pretty big and we'll be yeah. screwed. But the likelihood that it's going to happen is so remote that it offset the cost to winterize the turbines. So they didn't. Well, lo and behold, guess what? It happened. So everybody's everybody says, oh, haha, Texas, see, you know, you, you can't stand on your own. So Texas infrastructure could have stood on its own had they winterized the turbines. They made a risk decision not to. And I'm I'm not just saying this just because I'm from Texas and because I want to be like, no, shut up. We can't. But I mean, honestly, uh, we, we can't. But um, so but but anyway, but that was and my point of all of this. Right. This entire mm-hmm. discussion from colonial to Texans freezing their ass off is all about mm-hmm. it's a discussion about risk. It's it's we don't do cybersecurity because we're cool and we think we're Chris Hemsworth fighting down Chinese bad guys and taking over nuclear plants, right? We, we, I mean, some of us do, I used to do that. And then my wife saw me in my underwear doing that. She says never again. And, but so um, she's like, you do not look like Chris Hemsworth, maybe in a fat suit, but, um, but so I, I look like fat Thor during what, which one was that? The uh, end game? No. Um, yeah, it was in game. Yeah. I look like, I look yeah. like fat Thor. That's what I call my, I'm fat Thor. Um, but so anyway, um, the, um, it, it all comes down to cyber is another vector into um, the business risk, right? It's all a risk to the business. And in, in, in ICS and SCADA, it's a risk to production and safety and environment, which is all goes back to a business risk. It's all about money. And so it, yeah. when it comes down to it, it, everything is going to be prioritized based on the impact and the likelihood of a risk. And I'm not going to get into heat maps and all that bullshit like we've all been taught. But the bottom line is, yeah. it really is all about what's the cost to fix based off of the cost of the impact times the likelihood that it's going to happen. And that's and it's, yeah. it's the cybersecurity equations are the exact same actuarial equations that people use to determine whether you're a credit risk or not. Or to tell the weather. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. It's all but a lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people outside of the U.S. don't understand the, the way that our power gets distributed, right? So we have people who own the lines and the generation plants, right? And then we have companies that run the distribution on those lines. Yep. And you can choose the different power companies, but you're still on that same line. Um, so, you know, you, you, have, you have the actual physical grid itself. Um, you have the turbines. You, you have the power generation plants. But it gets kind of sticky when you get down to the distribution part of it. And especially when you deal with those distribution facilities and those switch yards, um, those are all independently owned. Uh, 900 so, I mean, co-ops. It, it, so the, the United States, the United States is, uh, is made up of 900 different electric co-ops that distribute yep. uh, the power. 
That's crazy. I, that that happened probably in my twenties. They decided to uh, break up kind of the the monopoly of the power, uh, the electric uh, companies, and they they came up with this idea of distribution and then sharing time on on lines and stuff. But it's been around it, for a long time. But go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, but it but it's only a monopoly in that like um, General Mills and 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 or whatever it's like it's only it's only not a monopoly in the way that like breakfast food and 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 macaroni and shit is not a monopoly right it's all owned by like general mills or procter and gamble right it's like there's like two or three big people that own all your groceries um so but but everybody else is your distributor you're you're still giving money to the big dogs somewhere oh yeah yeah and the big dogs get bigger every day Uh, another interesting point about the uh the pipeline was that, and, and I don't know how accurate this is, but you know maybe you can fill me in. Um, I heard that the system that was affected was actually the system that made sure that they got paid by their clients for the gas that they put through the pipe. Um, yeah, you missed that whole that conversation. Might, yeah, <laughs> go ahead, <laughs> catch, catch us up, because there, there's new details that came out this, this past week, so I, I want to catch up on some of the, the juicy details that came out. Yeah, well, you were you you were out. I think you were offline, and um, we were discussing that. Um, so, uh, long story short, is um, you know, catch catch Joel Lanchill's uh, discussion with Dale Peterson on the unsolicited uh-huh. uh, response podcast. Joel talked a lot about how the billing system works with the um, works in conjunction with the scheduling system. And why right, right. you would shut down a pipeline based off the billing system getting uh, taken down, or or you take down the, so ultimately because somebody what so what we had talked about um, was that we had both heard it was ticketing system, which was actually so the ticketing system I believe uh, somebody was mistaken it was actually the scheduling system which is tied to the billing system right and so what happens is uh, yeah the scheduling system is what's responsible for determining what product is going to come from what source to getting to what customer. Because the pipelines, um, I'm having a deja vu moment, but uh, the pipelines put a lot of different product through the same pipeline. So it's not just like, this is a natural gas pipeline, this is a petroleum. So a lot of different things can go through the same pipeline. And so they have to schedule that so they're not mixing crude with uh, refined and, and or with natural. And so uh, they have to schedule what's going through it and who's getting what and when. And so um, when you can't determine that, it's not just about not getting paid. It's not just about not being able to measure what's going where. It's about not being able to control what's going where. And then you're going to end up mixing product. And you're going to, so it's just as bad as it not running anyway, because then you're going to screw it all up and you're mixing shit together. So, um, and that's kind of really what happened. So it wasn't like this big business decision saying, we're not going to get paid. We're going to shut this down. No, it was actually much bigger than that. Good, good. Yeah, there, there was there was talk about, you know, it was an issue with, you know, the, the ticketing system and, and people getting paid. And I thought, you know, that that's that's ridiculous, but I can see it happening. Um, again, you know, going back to the, the issue in Texas, winterizing those turbines is not cheap. Yeah. Um, and you know, we've had brownouts and stuff in Texas before uh, during the heat during the summer because you know, it gets unbearable. Um, but again, you know, you, you look at, at line capacity and you look at load and distribution, you know, there's got to be a way to, to fix that. Um, but working in oil and gas and working in, you know, electric, 
for a while, you know, looking at their systems, even their systems in the dispatch centers, in the distribution centers, some of those systems are like NT. And the reason why they can't upgrade them is because it's been that way for so long. And the architecture they have at some of these companies relies on that technology. Yep. Um, well, it's so not just it, that. I mean, it, it's not just it's so old. Yeah. Like I can actually speak to this. I mean, I've I've been in these systems and I've pen tested these systems and mm -hmm. broken these systems and I've almost went to jail for these systems. And so um, it's <laughs> these. Um, in fact, there's an old article. There's there's an old article. It was oh man, I think it was Automation Magazine, mm -hmm. 2007, I believe it was. Whereas me and Jonathan Polay and some other guys where we were doing red teaming of a chemical facility here in Texas. And, um, and we were commissioned to do it. And we still almost went to jail. Um, but it wasn't like the, who was it? Um, um, in Ohio, was it? Uh, are you, are you, um, you talking talk about coal fire? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Any, anyway, but it wasn't as bad as that. But um, so these systems are, Yes, they're legacy. And yes, you'll find Windows 98 boxes and Windows NT boxes and everything running. But it's not, that's, there's two main reasons, right? It's because, well, maybe two and a half, but the main reason is that it's not just that they're so legacy, you can't change anything. I mean, that's the reality is, yeah, they're so legacy, you can't change anything. You can't apply patches. You can't do this because they're, they're so archaic. And quite frankly, a lot of them are, are just, they're, they're designed so poorly that they can't take any new updates, any new code, any patches, any new technology. But because of that, you're in vendor lock, right? It's like, it's like couch yep. lock, but in, in the, in, in, in the industrial technology aspect. Right. And it's like, um, you literally cannot do anything because a, it's going to break it or B your vendors will stop supporting you. So the vendors really have a lock and hold on a lot of the um, a lot of their the operators, and then, and so oh. what? Go ahead. That that they have a lock on the the vendors have a lock on, but also it, a lot of those companies, a lot of those co-ops can't afford to actually like upgrade all of their shit. Yeah, um, that's yeah, they do well just by having that. one. Yeah. They, they 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 do well just by having one person on their IT staff. Sometimes some of the smaller co-ops. Well, it's not even the um, IT stuff, right? I mean, it's just the think about yeah. the end devices, right? Think about the PLCs and the RTUs and all the end devices out there and all those sensors, right? Mm -hmm. So even if somebody is, so like people are coming out with better manufactured, better designed systems, right? So if you come out with the PLC, that's, that's hardened. You come out with a system, a DCS or a SCADA system, that's better. It's harder. Um, ultimately, it's still not going to be, it's not, it's, it's not going to be, um, deployed throughout the entire infrastructure until there's a massive overhaul, a massive turnaround, because you're talking yep. a thousand, 3000, 30,000 in devices out there that all have to be switched out running on production systems. So every single time you switch, you swap something out, it has to be done in maintenance windows at very small points yep. at a time. And if you can't do it all at once, that, so it's a whole compatibility problem. It's, it's a whole mess to to completely uproot and re-engineer your entire industrial control system just because there's new products out. It's not like, hey, there's a new switch out with better features. Let's put in new switches. Okay, no, it's not like that. You have thirty thousand devices in a and and by the way, when these companies like some of the refineries, I'm not talking electric grid now. I'm talking like refineries and stuff. 
you know, if you're down, you're losing millions of dollars a minute, you know, in a lot of cases. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And when you look at it too, you know, as far as like being able to, to, to upgrade different devices on that network, it's a little difficult. So it goes back to my point when I was talking last podcast about how, you know, we built this electric infrastructure across the U.S. a long time ago, predates the internet by far. Uh, all of a sudden we have this internet and everybody wants to incorporate that in their business, Right. And unfortunately, you know, the world evolves and revolves around internet connection, except for me, obviously. Um, <laughs> and so all these, all of the grid, pretty much, you look at water distribution, you look at electric distribution, they're all legacy networks. They're all yeah. archaic. Only really like the, the, the more advanced systems I've seen are some of the nuclear facilities um, for obvious reasons. But then I've seen some glaring holes in some of those as well. But I think what it all boils down to is even though that attack that, that occurred with Colonial um, didn't destroy anybody, didn't, you know, blow up the pipe or whatever. But here's the problem that we have is so that that was done and people see how easy it was to shut that down. Now they put another target on the map. And so other groups are looking at that people with more nefarious ideas and more destructive ideas are looking at these targets going, hmm, I wonder what else is out there. Well, well let's kinda, revisit Colonial. That's happened. That's been happening, right? So um, for a long time, industrial control systems were in isolation. I'm not talking about air-gapped. I'm just talking about the systems were just in, in right. isolation, not even connected with enterprise IT. And it all, it really all started to, started to come to fruition when, uh, so t- 2007, when, um, I'm not going to mention too many names here, but uh, so in 2007, INL worked on Project Aurora, and then you can look it out. There's there's videos out there, and uh, where CNN did a report. Actually, that was a mistake. So CNN got in a lot of trouble for reporting that, and so did the person that reported to CNN because Project Aurora supposed to, wasn't supposed to be released, but it's where they um, manipulated a PLC to destroy a power generator, and so you can look it up. CNN Project Aurora, INL Project Aurora. Um, hacking a uh, generator and or hacking a turbine, whatever. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of when it kind of the cat was let out of the bag. And then like in 2008, yeah. uh, Kevin Finisier released the first um, SCADA related exploit, SciTech SCADA exploit. Uh, 2011, mm-hmm. Luigi, or I can't pronounce the dude's last name, Luigi Ariam. Poor, poor guy. I'm butchering his name. Uh, but anyway, so he he's so everybody here knows about the SCADA modules in Metasploit, right? The original, the first 34 SCADA modules in Expo, uh, in Metasploit. So that was Luigi, and he released released those in 2011. And so you have that 2007 Aurora, 2008 Kevin's exploit, 2011 Luigi's. Uh, that was the Gleg, right? The Gleg um, something. But anyway, the Gleg exploit. So anyway, uh, so anyway the, that was released. All about that time was when people started doing ICS um, talks at DEF CON, you know, and in a black right. cat. And so over time, the cat's been coming out of the bag, coming out of the bag. Once that happens and you realize, number one, oh, there is this whole other playground out there. And it's all old shit. Remember, I, t- I talked about it earlier about how, you know, you can be the one-eyed king in the land of the blind because it's all, because it's all broken. It's all like... <laughs> They're just old stuff and um, nobody knows what they're doing. 
but yeah, so that's the problem. And, and you're right. So with every incident that happens, every time something public comes out, before it was just a bunch of people who know about Metasploit. It was just a bunch of people who go to DEF CON. Now the whole world has been alerted to the fact there's all these industrial systems out there and they can be hacked. And so if you, you know, yeah, you're right. There's now you've got more uh, gangs and crime, uh, organized crime units out there that are going to be running malware and, and ransomware because that's where big game, cunning, uh, big game hunting comes in. What's more big game hunting than oil enterprise? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and to think about how much money goes to that pipe a day I mean, yeah. they were they were right on when it came to targeting, you know, the fat cats. But, you know, to, to their to their defense, they said that they didn't know that they were actually in an ICS network, uh, which they, which they weren't really, to be I, honest with you. No, they weren't. But they knew but they knew what they were targeting. I guarantee you. Yeah. 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 Of course. Of course. You, you can't you can't look at that ticketing system or even, you know, the, any system on that that front office IT network and not know that you're in an oil pipeline. Yeah. Uh, or gas exactly. pipeline. Yeah. So, so what do you think, what do you think the next grid attack is going to be the next infrastructure attack? So I can tell you right now, like, uh, so nobody's going to be attacking power grids unless it's where it comes to war. Um, I'm, I, for the most part, all nation states have been trying to position themselves into our power grid, right? You, you take down the power grid, that's the creme de la creme, right? You take down the power grid, you're taking down communications, you're taking on, you know, you're, you're left with generators and, and fire sticks, right? So um, the power grid is what everybody wants, but there's no profit in power grids for, uh, other than ransom uh, for criminal organizations. And so you, you have two main reasons people are going to attack the grid or attack critical infrastructure, profit and war. Um, critical infrastructure like power grids is probably not going to be the next thing unless um, unless someone finds a, a way to attack such a large portion of the grid to take down enough of the grid um, to be a worthy ransom. That's not going to happen because believe it or not, um, forgetting about the Texas incident, which which was not which could not have been caused by a cyber attack anyway. Um, no, it's hard to take down the, 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 the power grid is pretty resilient. It's pretty robust. It's very difficult. Now you could take down individual co-ops and individual distribution centers, but it's very difficult to take down enough of the grid in America um, to, to be a worthy ransom. Now there's other countries but, where it's not as resilient. But, but what about, what about the East coast and the brownout with the squirrel that got into the line? Yeah. 2003 Ohio blackout, right? 2003 it was squirrel again. <laughs> Um, it was actually a tree, but it wasn't a real, it was a, it was a, it was a tree that fell in and blew out a transformer, it blew out a transformer, which cascaded upwards and blew out a step down transformer in the, in the, from the distribution to the transmission center. Um, but yeah. again, um, that is a one-off case. And that wasn't, that was a long time ago, Neo, right? I mean, that was, that was in 2003. <laughs> we've increased, right. we've increased our resiliency since then. So every, the good news is, is every time some shit happens, we learn from it and we're calloused over in that area. So it's going to be hard to do that with a cyber attack now, at least in, you know, Ohio area. Um, but so the, to, to answer your question, I think oil and gas will continue to be targeted because the cat's out of that bag. Everybody knows how piss poor um, oil and gas 
infrastructure from a cyber perspective, risk perspective is for the most part, like I said, really good. There's some really good operators out there. That's my don't sue my ass disclaimer. Um, but there's some really good operators out there. But for the most part, I would say the majority, because just like the electric grid, right? It's privatized and it's a lot of smaller operators operating these pipe, uh, these are these co-ops. Same thing with the power, with the, um, I keep getting these mixed up. Same thing with the, um, the pipelines. Um, it's, it's a, and, and even water, right? It's municipalities. And so um, as long as you have smaller operators running pipelines that are still running legacy systems and still are not compelled without regulation to actually secure their stuff from cyber vectors, um, you're going to continue to see a lot of people's mouths watering saying, mm, wow, that's, you know, the, the pipelines are vulnerable and they've got money and we're going to hit them. So I think that you're going to see, I don't think colonial, even with the regulations, regulations, like you said, are not going to solve things. They might make some things better for some companies, but I think that we've just, I think this is the tip of the iceberg. I think, and somebody's going to listen to this podcast and come back to me and blame me for saying this, <laughs> but I think that this is just the first of something bigger that's probably going to happen. I, I think that we're going to see, in fact, in fact, you know what we can say, I'm going to, I'm going to put a date on it. I'm going to say, let's see, I'm going to pull something out of my ass here. Um, I think <laughs> what, what is the date? Whatever, where are we at? Uh, May 29th. So I think, especially during hurricane season two here, July 4th. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I would say, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to say a little later. I'm going to say probably we're, we're going to see some little things happening, maybe one or two between now and early 2022. But I'm going to say probably first quarter of 2022 or no later than you're probably going to end up having a really big incident that. Yeah, I, it's not it's not going to cost lives unless something blow. I don't think somebody's going to blow something up because, um, you know, there was there's a lot of consultants out there that's like, oh, you flip the right switch on a PLC and you take it out. You're going to blow up the plant. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> um, but but I do think that so I don't think anything's going to blow up. But I think that you, I think what we're going to have, I think we could possibly have a big spill, a big environmental issue. Um, I think somebody's going to hack a system and disrupt flow control um, because I think somebody's going to figure out how to, how to combine uh, trisis or that, uh, mm -hmm. which is uh, the, the, the malware it's either Hatman or trisis, depending on if you listen to Dragos or department of Homeland security, but that was the malware that hit the triconic safety instrumented system. So I think people are going to figure out how to use like uh, malware, like uh, actual malware, like trisis. And it's, and I think they're going to mm -hmm. figure out ransomware is just the start. And I said this whenever we, um, whenever I was covering the Ryuk stuff, and I said this on Dark Reading in a couple of places, and um, probably find it somewhere where I said, I think that ransomware right now is definitely the motivation for the small-time uh, criminal gangs. Small-time, only ninety million dark side, but uh, but either way, but I mean, but I think ultimately, I think there are people looking at this, thinking that they can probably use uh, ransomware as a smokescreen to get a bigger foothold. Mm -hmm to do further exploits. Cause let me tell you, so here's how, here's how they, here's how Ryuk worked. So Ryuk oh. got on the networks with TrickBot. Then they sat on the network for months 
and researched everything. Then they weaponized Ryuk by putting in the payload by putting the payload payload into the login scripts on Active Directory servers, so that everybody that logged in using those Active Directory servers then got hit. And then they researched the network enough to understand that okay, this other company was using um, there or there's different companies. You know, okay, well maybe they have a, a domain controller on their their ICS network, so they used um, weak RDP exploits or weak RDP, mm -hmm. sorry, that is an exploit. RDP is an exploit. They used weak RDP to get onto mm -hmm. um, the Active Directory server in the ICS network, weaponize Ryuk in those. So it, it's a matter of once they get onto a network and once they start researching, they sit dormant, then they'll deploy these things. And then here was my thing. You don't know how long they've been on the network. Okay, so if you've exactly. been on the network for a while, and then once once you are noticed or once somebody notices you, you deploy ransomware. Then whenever mm -hmm. it says, oh shit, you know, we've been hacked or whatever, restore from backup, restore from backup. Okay, we've cleaned everything. Now you sit there all quiet. And then what's like in you know, like like the the sea snake that lets it sit there and bite off itself. Like in what was the movie Gladiator where he's like, a little sea snake lets itself get bite, bite after bite. Anyway, I'm a movie buff. <laughs> anyway, but uh, but so anyway, anyway, um, uh, so but you sit there and you lay dormant, knowing that they restored from a backup when you were on the system, and so it's it's basically yeah. a smoke screen. They deploy ransomware so that they uh, restore from backup. Anyway, this is just my theory, but I think that you're going to end up seeing ransomware being used as either a a, 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 a smokescreen or you're going to start seeing people deploy malware like um, like Trisis uh, going mm -hmm. directly after control systems. And so I, I think somebody's going to call something bad. It's not just going to be ransomware stopping sure. up the, 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 the flow of uh, fuel. I think somebody's going to actually cause a spill or something. Well, see, and it's funny you bring that up too. You know, the thought of of a, of a smokescreen because I talked to someone this week who actually helped out one of the victims of Darkseid, and was there during one of their attacks. Um, and it was it was pretty it was pretty strange and kind of interesting to hear about how they conducted the operation. And it was like they deployed the malware, the ransomware, and then hit them with the denial of service at the same time. So, it, where do you go first? Yeah. yeah. Do, do you go after the malware or do you go after, you know, no connection whatsoever? Um, you know, just that alone would cause, cause major issues. I mean, think of all the other networks that have to report into, you know, Colonial's network or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that multifaceted attack, that multi-stage attack, I mean, it's pretty common. Um, I know in some of the groups that I was in before, we would use smoke screens like that or hit one part of the network while we're destroying another part. Yep. Um, so it's just, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think that, that we're gonna see something big. I think it's gonna be sooner though. I think it's gonna be July timeframe. Um, well, Christmas time, we had a bomb go off uh, in Nashville and that started the decay of our internet connection. Um, so July 4th with all of the you know turmoil and tension in the US, yeah, I don't know. Politically, it's it's a bad time for the U.S. But uh, um, you know, poli point, this, politics aren't driving this, though, right? I mean, it's especially but, when you have foreign but, nations. But they will, because so Obama during his term came out after Hamas, uh, you know, hit Israel with a cyber attack, and then Israel bombed the building. 
Obama came out and publicly made a statement that the U.S., if you attack our infrastructure, is considered an act of war. So at what point are we going to get hit and Biden and the Democrats stand up and go, okay, I know, you know, years ago we said we were going to do this and now we're going to do it. Um, I just don't think our government has that, that strength right now to make that statement. Um, yeah. And I think people know that we're in a bad spot and that's why we're getting hit so hard. You know, we got hit with COVID and then all the political issues, all the economic issues that we have, um, we're a prime target. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's like you said, we've seen the tip of the iceberg. And I said that back in December and then we get hit again. Um, so I'm thinking that, you know, July is sometime in the later part of this year, we're going to get hit pretty hard. And I agree with uh, the, the spill. And I would even venture to say that the next target might be offshore um, oil drilling. Da Vinci Platforms. virus tipping the oil bunkers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've, I've had first I've had firsthand at looking at some of these these platforms, some of these rigs. And man, I'll tell you, you know, if, if you've got skills in Telnet, you can take down most of the platforms in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, yeah, so they, they communicate in some really archaic, clear text ways, which I just, I don't understand. Um, but in their defense, again, they said, we can't, you know, change out those switches because, you know, there's other things that depend on it and we can't go to SSH because of this and because of that. There's always some sort of, of reasoning behind it. It's changing, um, though. It's changing. I mean, we've got, yeah. we've got several yeah. POs out there for several platform operators in the Gulf to swap out that infrastructure for a, a more viable, more secure remote communication. So it is changing, but it's a slow process. Yeah. It's very slow. And when you have a company that, that is like a service provider for those platforms, you're kind of at the platform's company's mercy as to how well you can protect that, that connection. Um, you're kind of limited to their equipment. Uh, so it's really not the, the, you know, the service provider's problem. It's not their fault, but again, you know, you're, you're putting a risk out there. Um, <clears throat> so Ryan, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't think there's a whole lot of that that can do that. Um, I think we're in a situation right now where, you know, I've never seen this and I, I know that you probably haven't either in my lifetime. I have not seen a country so divided and such a target. And it's just, it, it's, it's scary because I know some of the effects that, you know, you talk about the generator, right? The, the generator attack that, or proof of concept that they did, that thing caught fire. I mean, it, it, was, it was a straight up fire. It, yeah. That thing set on fire. So, um, I mean, and then when we went out, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say back to the country divided. I mean, we look very divided right now and we are, but I mean, mm -hmm. uh, it's not the first time this has happened, but it's the first time this has happened with such technology at everyone's disposal, right? I yeah. mean, look back at the 60s and the 70s and the Watts riots and things like that. This is something that's been repeating itself in this country for a long time. And um, but yeah. but but this is but but this is the first time um, where we've had. Um, I would say mainly technology, the technology at your disposal, right? This is people were people are very emboldened and people could do more damage now with with technology and, and anonymity, uh, unlike where they could before. Right. And it, it goes back to so in 2008, um, Hackers Are People too. we did. Uh, I was in a documentary and they interviewed us about cyber law. And one of the things that, that I complain about a lot is you have the wrong people 
making decisions on cybersecurity. You know, when you look at the government, look at some of those people making, making some of those laws and look at their background. There is no IT. There is no strategic planning. There's no, there's no security in their background. Yeah. You know, their fat cats have been in D.C. for 30 years and they're making laws regarding things that they have no earthly idea about. And I know they have probably think tanks to help them out and make those decisions. But, I mean, we're still pretty far behind. Well, they just recently they just recently started yeah. being willing to hire people with Mohawks instead of high end tights in their think tanks. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, literally just yeah. And, and eventually, yeah. And eventually, hopefully we can get more companies to hire you know, more, you know, young kids who've made bad decisions and are willing to turn their life around to. Um, but to me, you know, when it comes to cybersecurity, especially in this day and age, to me, that's a national defense. And if you can't recruit everybody who has high knowledge of what they're doing to defend the country, then what are you doing? I mean, we have kids who, who have been arrested for hacking who can run circles around most operators on some of these uh, infrastructure. And it's like, why are we not hiring these people? And yeah, it's political. Yep. You know, and the, the sad thing in the U.S. is everything that occurs has some sort of political, I guess, tone to it. Um, and a lot of the bureaucracy and red tape that goes with it. Uh, so anyways, tell me about your podcast, man. I sat in it a, a little bit yesterday yeah. um, until Nomad uh, Internet Service decided to drop me. Um, but it was pretty good. I, I was really hey. interested in what, what you guys had, had to say. And, and Pascal Ackerman, um, I, I, I've heard of him in the past, and I've followed some of his uh, some of the stuff. Really smart guy. Um, so tell me a little bit about your podcast. And, and I know it's it's very early. It's what, your second episode? Yeah, we're doing it weekly, though. So Awesome. Uh, tell me about it, man. Yeah, it's a lot of this, right? Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of talking about – so the, the whole premise was that there's some good podcasts out there. Um, for example, like I've already mentioned Dale Peterson's podcast. And, but I think there's a lot of people out there that there's something, the OT industry, and I hate the word, I hate the term OT, right? OT is creative marketing people, right? But it's, it, it is what it is, right? But um, the whole industrial security industry, the entire, forget about the security, the entire industrial industry from electric grid to, to water plants, to, to pipeline operators, it's kind of a very, it's a pretentious community a lot of times, right? It's all, you know, a lot of, it's like, um, you know, we're not afraid to, to cut loose and, and, and drink, but when it's, when it's time to work or talk about work, it's very formal or it's very, there's, there's, it's very proper. There's very thing, these things you say, there's things you don't. And it goes along, along the lines of kind of the, 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 just the, that community, the, that, the, the, the people who run those big companies, um, and I think a lot of times people have been afraid to say what they want to say. Um, and I'm not talking about like John Mayer, but like, really, you say what you need to say. Uh, but it's, um, but so a lot of us, it started with Beer Isaac. Have you heard of Beer Isaac? Um, I sure have. Yeah, so that started in the OT industry, right? So that started with uh, Rob Lee, uh, Patrick Miller, Chris Sistrunk, and uh, Rod Whiteman. And they started it and it became a thing. And now we've got like, I don't know, 200, 300 members. And and it, it like S4, Dale Peterson's conference uh, from, from Digital Mind is our mothership and in my South Beach, Miami every year in January, non-COVID. Um, and, and we meet there and, but we have these beer ISEC meetings, the standups everywhere. It's a lot like this. We sit on, get on virtual and, and just drink and talk and bullshit. But um, so we wanted to carry that over into 
everybody's getting so sick of webinars, man. It's like, because of COVID, it's like, here's another webinar. Here's another webinar. And it's nothing but sales pitches. And it's nothing but people just, just drinking and tossing their own Kool-Aid. And so we were just like, you know what? We just want to, because it all started and like everything like this, it started, we're drinking one night and we're like, man, we should just get on, you know, podcasts and just talk shit, you know, and just have like a, a fireside chat and, and just tell people like it is. And so, so we're like, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's do that. And let's, but let's talk about, let's talk about the, the recent news and events that have happened over the last couple of weeks. And let's talk about it in a way that people really want to hear it. Let's talk about it in a way that like, you don't have to be proper. You don't have to be professional. Just tell it like it is. And if, and if you don't like it, don't listen to our fucking podcast. You know, it's like, but, but otherwise, but if you like it, then hear what we have to say. And, um, and so we did that. The first episode, we we're kind of cautious, and we're like, "Ah, oh, we're feeling this out of some technical glitches." I know you don't know anything about that, but um, but so we had, we had some technical glitches, and 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 we we're kind of cautious, right? So then this the second one, we kind of opened it up a little bit, and we figured probably about the third or fourth episode will be loose, and we'll it'll be like this, right? We we've kind of did say it because it is somewhat of a a news podcast for the industry. We're not going to drop f bombs on there. Um, we're not going to drop F-bombs, talk about genitalia or anything illegal. Well, that's, that's a gray area too. But, um, but for the <laughs> most part, you know, we're going to be, I guess we're going to be somewhat appropriate, um, but we're not going to hold back and we're not going to care about people's feelings. We're not going to care about people's uh, properness or anything like that and just talk about it. And so, um, you know, like, for example, that idiot that was a cybersecurity consultant that went on a Associated Press that just slammed Colonial and talked about, I did this assessment and they were just pitiful and da, da, da. It's like, it's like, dude, you're just an asshole. You don't do that shit. You know, yeah. it's like, they're already That's getting called out. Too. I know. It's like, dude, yeah. I hope you get sued into oblivion. And, uh, and so anyway, so we, we, we do that, but you know, we haven't gotten real dicey yet, but I think by about the next two or three episodes, we're going to start cutting loose as we start to feel more comfortable with it but that's the whole goal the whole goal yeah. and we found out by the way by having a guest it just adds so much to it right because we want it to be a combination yeah. of very informative but also mm-hmm. um honest informative and entertaining that's but so anyway, that's why it's live uncut and unapologetic because we want it to be informative um honest and entertaining yeah, and I think that a lot of podcasts, like you said, there's a lot of people doing podcasts now, um, from cybersecurity to even comedians. Uh, you know, me and and Mike sit and watch. You know, Joe Rogan. We watch uh, Andy Schultz and, and Akash and all those guys and Tom Segura, and that's kind of where we got the idea for the podcast. Like, it, you know, it's, it was locked down. You know, COVID kept people from from being in the same place at the same time. So it was like I think it was a natural transition to go into podcasting as opposed to giving talks every Friday at you know, you know, the next city or whatever. Like I was doing. This is this, I think this is more relaxing actually, um, and I enjoy it more because it's it's real. You get to interact, and, and it's not you know a room full of people and suits, and, and it's, we reach a lot more people this way. Um, well, you know, it's it's a coincidence yeah, you mentioned that real quick is you said Joe Rogan is like, that is exactly what we did. We said, you know what? 
We want our podcast. In fact, that's that's why I have this microphone. This is the Joe Rogan microphone. Um, it's like I I wanted, uh, and I purposely put on a little face weight so I could be more like Joe Rogan. That's not kidding. I've always been fat, but uh, but I purposely wanted to be. We 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 said that's literally what we said. We want this to be the Joe Rogan show of OT cybersecurity. You know, I, I wish that Joe Rogan would have somebody from cybersecurity on his podcast. I've seen everybody on his podcast. I've seen Elon Musk. I've seen Mike Tyson, all kinds of people, but not once have we seen a hacker, a cybersecurity professional, um, nothing like that. I mean, it's it's all entertainment, which you know I get that. But Texas it's just now is starting like to get new- into that limelight, right? Like, like yeah. My wife used to say when people ask, "What does your husband do?" and she's like, "I, I um, I, computer security." Oh, really? I have a antivirus problem. Can you have them come look at my computer? And, but, but I mean, and that's the extent of it, right? But now people are finally starting to understand what this whole cybersecurity thing means and how it can affect them. So I think I think that's the reason why. Because cybersecurity, even though we can get paid like doctors and lawyers, some of you, not me, um, it means, but we're not taken seriously as a serious profession yet because we have Mohawks, right? right? Or some of you do. Yeah. I don't have any. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> that and, and, you know, when we talk about hacking, you know, it's to, to most people, to most everyday people, to them, it's a dark art. Like they have no idea what you're talking about. To them, it's magic, um, especially my parents. Uh, I remember showing my, my parents exploits early on and, and especially when I hijacked a, a Comcast security camera, they were like, what are you doing? You can't do that. I'm like, well, I just did. <laughs> but I think it's becoming more acceptable. I think, you know, you're right. It's going mainstream. But the, the podcasting is, is just amazing. Um, we spent the last couple of days going over how to get, you know, more propagation uh, to spread the word a little bit more. And so to get on some of these platforms, man, it, it's a, it's a hard job. Like you have to do a lot of stuff to get to get onto multiple platforms at the same time. Um, yeah, and Spotify. just the, just the idea. Of, yeah. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, all that stuff. They all have their own, the way they look at RSS uh, yeah. files and all that good stuff. It's a pain in the ass. Um, but it's worth it because you, you get the, you get that message out there further. And, you know, hopefully somebody will catch on and be like, oh, hey, that makes sense. You know, maybe we should change the way we do things. And that's kind of what, what we've been doing for a while is, you know, talking about how people get hired into the industry and how fucked up it is and, and how people want five years experience before you even get out of college. Um, <laughs> just things like that. If you put that on a podcast, it's going to reach somebody somewhere. And, you know, you talk about, you know, not be able to drop the F-bomb or whatever. Um, we have, we've just stuck to the idea of we're just going to be ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. if people don't like it, fuck them. They don't have Maybe, to you know what? You're right. I mean, that's a good point. And here's, and I, you know, I think um, we should be, uh, you know, for whatever this, this may sound uh, cheesy or whatever, but uh, because of our mentality and what we're doing, we should be like mm-hmm. a f- partner or affiliate podcast, you know, um, you know, uh-huh. like help totally each down. other. Like, hey, if you got some knowledge, let me know. Like, I mean, if you if you find a way into like, get exposure here, let me know and, and, and vice versa. Um, you know, we'll advertise for you on our podcast. Um, we'll make sure and, um, you know, um, we'll we'll put an advertise. We won't say sponsored by because um, I don't want to have to. The, the stupid YouTube, like you have to let us know if you've got anything of value. Um, you know, you have to tell us it's sponsored. Uh, no, but I'll, I won't say sponsored by. I'll just, you know, I'll just make a mention. It's like, hey, don't forget about our, you know, 
you know, our, our, our partners yeah. over at, at, you know, Haunted Hacker or whatever. Um, and, uh, and I'll make, they're not sponsors, but they're our partners. Um, but anyway, <laughs> if we can just help each other out, you know, um, but, you know, sure. but I think you're right. I, I definitely want to, maybe you're right. You know, it's like, fuck them. Like if we want to say drop F-bombs, you know, just as long as we're not talking about like, you know, you know, illegal shit. Well, I'm with Henry. I mean, we're going to, never mind. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I try to stay real. Right. So, you know, when we got picked up by, by one of the media companies to be on their show, I thought, oh my God, our podcast is going to change and they're going to dictate what we can and can't say, but they've been totally cool about it. Like, you know, this is who we are and, and they understand that and they like it, but they're also in the IT industry. And so, so they get the culture, they get the, you know, the, the temperament or whatever. Uh, but yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to open this up for questions. Unfortunately, I am not at the helm. Um, Ryan, um, yeah, can you that. field the questions and, and, you know, if anybody yeah. has anything to say, and I still have two drinks. after we'll So until I'm done with my drinks, I, I'll stick around. Awesome. I, oh, cool. Um, yeah, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Definitely not going anywhere. What are we going? Go ahead, Brian. Um, let me just find. Okay. Uh, if you could implement one sweeping change across the ICS industry, what would it be? Oh, ICS or cybersecurity? Or I guess right. I, just like we'll just say ICS yeah. cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, I would say, and this is kind of my soapbox, is change your requirements for how you look at people and hire people. Um, because there are people yes. out there with extreme, um, I used to teach classes uh, for an after-school program in an underprivileged area in, um, in Sugarland. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, underprivileged Sugarland. Anyway, but uh, there, there are underprivileged areas <laughs> around here. But, uh, <laughs> but they, um, and there were some kids brilliant kids that are never going to get an opportunity, never get a good chance because they come from the wrong school. They can't afford college. They can't afford anything. You know, I broke into, into this industry without a college degree back in the day when you could literally break into the industry um, and get hired, you know, and, but it's, you know, you can't do that anymore. And I think too many companies are looking at where you came from in school. They want you to come out of high school with 20 years of experience and, and all that. I think that they need to look at these, there's these kids that are brilliant and underprivileged areas of all ethnicities all over the world that you just, you know, you, you can't find this talent unless you look and you're willing to look and willing to accept it. I mean, we're reaching people with our red versus blue game, people in remote parts of Africa, downloading the game and playing the game and then emailing us asking questions about cybersecurity, because that's literally the only cybersecurity that they have. So I think that we need to figure out how to expand opportunities to everybody, be more inclusive. That, that my friend, is badass. That, that is totally badass uh, as far as like providing a game. I, I, I didn't put the two together as far as remote regions go and being exposed to cybersecurity, but dude, that's genius. Like that's badass. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brian. Um, oh, all good, man. Um, if someone wants to get into the ICS industry, what would you recommend? Obviously on top of a threat gen, red versus blue. Um, I mean, right now, red versus blue is not even the entryway, right? I mean, it's... um um it, it's it's a it's a it's a learning tool right but um so if you first i mean the first thing is really all you need to know is 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 have network proficiency be be proficient at it first and foremost and take some 11 classes on industrial control systems if you show up there, there are so many people that so many operators that are so starved 
for expertise that if you know, and, and, and I would say for a, for, a, for a beginner, 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 I would say learn enterprise IT cybersecurity, at least administrator level, right? Just know some basics, A plus security type stuff, right? Um, know some basics about cybersecurity, no, no network communication and things like that, some operating systems. I mean, go read the, the, the Linux, basic Linux for hackers book or whatever. Um, just know some basic Linux, know some basic security, know some, and take a couple $11 courses on Udemy on industrial control systems, literally. And I'm not, I'm not trying to show you how to hack the system or how to, how to social engineer your way into the system, but the OT cybersecurity industry is so starved, OT ICS synonymous. It's so starved for people that know what they're doing that mm. you literally can be the one-eyed king of the land of the blind. If you, if you, if you're good with technology, right? So, well, let me, let me back up. First thing, first thing you need, you have to have, you have to have a passion for learning technology, learning new things, right? That's the, you have to have the techie geek hacker mentality, right? Have a passion for learning. And then that's going to give you the aptitude. So if you have the passion and the aptitude, that's 90% of the way there. So the, the hard skills you need is networking, some Linux, some basic knowledge of industrial control systems. When you walk into a company and you can describe how an industrial control systems work, you can describe the protocols, how the industrial uh, protocols work different than IT protocols. So literally, this is like a, this is two weeks worth of learning. I promise you, two weeks worth of learning. Talk about how PLCs work, the different protocols, how a DCS is different from a SCADA system and how that works together. Um, you do that and you have a good basic uh, security and IT foundation, you can get a job just about anywhere. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's that simple. And that that's the, that's the basic way in, right? If you're talking about like, specifics like what trainings to take and stuff like that i mean that's a whole nother conversation but that is literally how simple it is to get an ics cybersecurity right now yeah speaking of training though um dhs has a red team blue team symposium that you can buy into and actually go out i don't know if they're doing it face-to-face -face or, or yep. virtual now but uh, so they've been doing that for a you while can actually go out yeah. there's a waiting and it's list. awesome yeah um and, and you, yeah. Have to, you have to you have to pass a background check too. They do a, back, a DHS background check on you as well. Yeah, so that's the reason we built our red versus blue class the way we did. And then the, because the, we, we do have classes, we have red versus blue classes, and then we have the red versus blue uh, game. And the reason we nice. built that game was because they're, they're you mm -hmm. know, and that's what our game is, right? It's red versus blue. The reason we built it um, was because the only red versus blue. And so here's the evolution of how it happened, real quick. So there's a red versus blue class out there, and it was by DHS and his uh, Idaho National Laboratories and has a big electric grid cyber range out there, right? And they do this red versus blue class. It's five days. So much fun. There's, a, there's five days. There's a there's a waiting list, um, and you have to. Uh, and I believe you and Chris did that too, didn't you? A long time ago. Uh, but yep. so uh, there's a there's a five day waiting list, um, and you really you you don't learn the red team stuff so much. You have to really, you have to have people that already know the red team side. There's a technical learning curve otherwise, and it's five days and, and, and there's more lecture than there is actual playing. Right. And so, yeah. Um, so we wanted to, we wanted to build it. And so uh, I work a lot with, when working with Houston cybersecurity conference or HUSECCON a lot. And, um, and so Michael Farnham came to me and he's like, uh, he's like, hey, one year, he's like, can you do an ICS um, red versus blue class? I'm like, yeah, uh, sure. And he goes, in one day? 
like you're on crack. I mean, you want to do a red versus blue class in one day. And, um, and so we're like, well, I might be able to do something or like, let me think about it. So, um, so we came, uh, I, I, this was like right after I worked at Kaspersky. Um, and I was in their, their, um, their ICS cybersecurity research and their, it was their, their ICS, um, whatever. I forgot what it was called. I don't remember what it's called. It's something in Russian, but, um, but anyway, um, and so like I left, I had to leave Kaspersky literally cause I was getting kicked out of INL. I was getting visited by the FBI and everything. And it was really bad. So, uh, so I left Kaspersky, but when I was there, there's a game called Kips. It was a board game. And I'm like, what if we took the concept of that board game and added a red team component to it and then turned it into a computer game? You know, and, and Aaron and I had been already learning game development for the purpose of cyber training and all that, because it, it all started, we started learning, like, how do we, <clears throat> how do we teach um, industrial consequences and industrial control system security um, without having to have all this hardware and shit, like, how do you do it remotely? And so it was with um, Brian Max, uh, Brian Maxwell and, and Dylan Beresford, we we're all working at Simation at the time. And, um, and we we're like, and if you know, Dylan, he's, he's one of the original ICS cybersecurity kind of hackers when he, he really saw the Siemens exploits and stuff like that, that you've seen in Metasploit. And um, so, and I'm not trying to name drop and just kind of throwing reference out there. Uh, but anyway, so we were all learning how to do this stuff. And then, so we took that information and we're like, you know, I bet you if we just did that, we'd like, let's just take the Kaspersky idea of a board game and a card game and let's add a red team component and let's do this, this video game stuff we've been learning and let's put it all together. And so me and Aaron, uh, in eight weeks, we developed an alpha, literally built this video game in eight weeks and took it to uh, Houston Security Conference and it went over well and it just had the right people in it. And um, uh, it just, so that's that's how it happened. We're like, holy crap. So then a lot of people, so then people like Art Conklin from University of Houston and, other, and a bunch of other people were in the class are like, you know, this is this could end up being better than INL's Red versus Blue because anybody can play it. You don't have to be a hacker. You don't, anybody can play the side yeah. of the red team. And the important concepts are, you know, the, 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 the overall strategy, the strategy and the, da, 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 da. and they're like, you can do this. And so that's, that's how red versus blue was born back in 2017. And that's why we did it. It was basically a way so that everybody could learn both the blue team and the red team without a technical learning curve. The end. Yeah, it's pretty, that's pretty awesome. So I know their, their red, uh, red team versus blue team symposium is really cool. Um, you actually separate into two different groups, the red team, blue team, obviously, and blue team goes to another, another facility. Um, and during the class, like they pick who they want on the red team and blue team um, and taking over all the displays on the wall and turning them into solitary games and overrunning the pump, put me on the red team pretty quick with uh especially they have security cameras there too inside INL. Um they weren't really in scope, but I found a way to get into them and, and just kind of look around INL. Everything really cool. is always in scope. <laughs> so yeah, we had a lot of fun there. That's where I met Chris. Um and Chris and, and his team, the blue team, took a, a video of me breaking into the blue team and then, then taping me up and carrying me out. Yeah, I've uh, seen it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was a lot of fun. Uh, but back then, the, the SCADA system they were using, it was kind of like a mock SCADA system. It was pretty accurate. Uh, they did a really good job putting it together. But you're right. Like I think that they could have done better by not using the modules in Metasploit 
and teaching people how those modules actually worked. Um, because they were trying to teach blue teamers how to run skate attacks, but it was like they didn't understand the attack itself. Yeah, too much. Yeah, in, in one day or two days or three days, it's just it's not enough time to really get you know proficient at pen testing skate stuff. Um, so naturally, all of the hackers end up getting on the red team anyways and, and destroying the blue team. Um, but again, it was a lot of fun. We met a lot of good friends. Like me and Chris have been friends for years since that day at, at INL. Um, so yeah, it was really cool. Ryan, what else do you have for us over there? Oh, that's about it, mate. I don't think I have any other. Oh, sorry, one more question. Um, where are we going? Uh, what's the best way to simulate an ICS slash skater environment? Uh, is the only way through hardware or it could be done through VMs? And do you know any? Yeah, so, um, well, here, this is not a self, this is not a plug, but I will tell you that uh, that's, a, that's a hard question because um, a lot of, so you can buy, you can go in for like 1100 bucks or something. You can buy like these little PLC simulators that have little, uh, buttons and stuff you can push to where it's like a little Micrologics uh, or a Siemens, uh, PLC and in a, in a SCADA in a box, which you can connect to and, and hack it and program it and do all this stuff like that. That's the best way. Um, it's not going to scale and it's not going to be realistic, but Start off buying yourself, um, and if and if you're if that's too much money, um, then you you have to start eBaying and build it yourself, right? Um, but you can get like a little skate in a box or DCS in a box, and it's got blinking lights and little knobs and things you can turn and push to where you can start to learn how it, it looks or anything like that. Go spend the eleven dollars or whatever on Udemy to get a, a kind of a, a PLC programming course and a DCS and learn how all this stuff works. Um, otherwise, it, it it really is what we call tinker toys right you 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 buy you buy these things and it's a plc with some blinking lights maybe some tubes with water and and things like that it's, it's a very small scale thing that's not very realistic um one of the things that we're going to be releasing so and i'm, I'm thinking individuals right because i mean there's colleges that have like skata villages and skata walls and stuff like that but if you an individual are trying to do this you got to do that um, or if you can hold on for just literally maybe a quarter, maybe two quarters. Um, so the, the thing that we first started back in 2013 or so at, at Cymation, um, so kind of like what Georgia Tech is doing with Range Force, um, they got some 3D mm -hmm. stuff and 3D models or anything. So we started that back in 2013. We already have uh, models of like, we have like plants with water plants and and oil refineries and all this stuff. We have, we have a hook with the VR so you can run through an entire plant in VR and, and mess with stuff. It communicates real world with industrial protocols and industrial systems and all that. We're building, it's what's called IBASE, um, I-B-A-S-E, Industrial Breach and Attack Simulation Engine. And uh, so we're building that and these little things called proxims or process simulations. So where it's completely virtual, it installs on go, gamification, going back to gamification, Install it on your computer and you have multiple SCADA environments, multiple different PLCs you can spin up and you can program it with ladder logic and you can break stuff and you can see how things work. It's not 100% accurate fidelity in terms of the physics, but it's good enough for training because what the, it's not the physics of the process that's important, right? I mean, if, if that's good enough, it's good enough for training. What's important is understanding the ladder logic and the process and the industrial protocols, which are 100% real. We're programming 100% real industrial protocol stacks into these things 
And so nice. we're doing that. Um, and we're going to have a community edition of that. We're going to release community modules out there for free so that anybody can download these things and build up a little SCADA environment and, and or, or DACS and have in program PLCs and learn how it works. We're going to release that to the community. It's not going to be open source, but we will have free modules we're going to release to the community so that anybody can learn this without being subject to just limited to a, a table top full of toys. So that, that should be out there by the end of the year. So, so let's, uh, let's play some ICS OT uh, game, a little bit of fun. Um, I'm going to ask the most vulnerable controller that you know of. I'm going to go with Trikinex. The most vulnerable controller that I know of. Um, well, I mean, controller is a different story. I think historically, um, Red Lion is the most vulnerable of all um, SCADA. But, I mean, that, that was a while back. Um, yeah. Triconics is not Triconics. It, it, it got it had big news lately, but it's not the most vulnerable. I would say, um, and they're all getting better. But historically, I would say Micrologics. Um, Micrologics. Yeah, Micrologics has been like the that's the, been the go to for like here's how you hack a PLC. Look at this Micrologics 1100. Yeah, uh, I mean that's. Um, that's been the, the, the quintessential like go-to let's hack this thing has been the most uh, vulnerable because here, let's face it. There's, there's two things about any controller that are vulnerable. The two mm -hmm. most things that are vulnerable. Number one um, is the protocol itself. So it has really nothing to do with the controller. It's the protocol because the yeah. protocols are weak. Protocol. So anything that runs on Modbus or Profinet or fill in the blank or Backnet, yeah. they're all vulnerable, right? You can hack the shit out of those, and it doesn't even have. It doesn't even matter about the controller. So, so let's let's get protocols off the table. Let's just talk about controllers themselves. The problem with most controllers in the past um, has has been the stack is the 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 way that the the the, the stacks are programmed. So they had to retrofit the serial protocols from industrial protocols and encapsulated into the IT protocol or the, sorry, the IP protocol in UDP and, and, and TCP specifically. And so um, that essentially broke the stack to where yeah. pretty much any PLC that is still developed on that old paradigm, um, malformed packets, ping of yep. death all this shit will just break it. It will just bring it down. It will knock it down. Um, if you're talking about remote code execution, um, that's usually, what was it when uh, it was me, Brian and Dylan did, um, they actually, and oh, and um, Eric Forner, uh, they, so they Triconnex was a big target, I guess about four years ago, right? Well, yeah, but well, actually, when was it? Uh, yeah, it was about four years ago. Because when was Trisis? Yeah. So uh, that that basically get, they got exposed when Trisis came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess that was twenty. That was twenty seventeen. So yeah, or yeah, twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, and another thing too, like people people ask about getting into like being able to test controllers and PLCs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. In Texas, if you go to some of those uh, natural gas uh, drilling sites mm -hmm. that aren't manned, that are just like locked off, you can normally find like a BGAN 
um, or a satellite type of uh, connection out there. That's not called and testing. That's called breaking and entering. <laughs> right? Um, but I, I mean, a lot, of testing, but... Have, <laughs> a lot of those BGANs have Ethernet uh, ports on them that are just open. And all you got to do is walk up to the device and plug your laptop in, and guess what? You're on a network. Yeah, <laughs> but um, you do not want to get caught by a Texas redneck field no. engineer. Um, it, you know, it's, uh, I mean, we have those all like, I'm a, I am a stereotypical Texan. I do have a ranch. Um, and, and we do have, uh, we've got no mineral rights. We've got no oil money. I am still broke. Um, but we do have, um, pump jacks and, and lease pads all around us, all over the place. Um, yeah. literally like by my like friends in high school, their family. And I'm like, yeah, lucky you shut up. Um, uh, but so they, um, but yeah, you can go up to those things and they, they have a lot of the times, um, I mean, it depends on what it is, right? If you're doing uh, remote measurement uh, in rural control, yeah. they're going to be connected to like it's a totally 4G true. connection or sometimes a 3G connection on there, whatever. They're, they're actually, when yeah. you're that remote, you're not, you don't actually have Ethernet on there. You're not actually going to be connected to anything that's connected to any type of network. It's usually going to be mobile network kind of thing well but i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend of, people go out there and just start playing around with it because you're gonna <laughs> no, get a definitely not. that's how you get baseball bats yeah and the 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 equipment i'm talking about the began right so we deployed a lot of those on on some of the offshore sites um and it's funny because all of those devices the newest ones that we had all had ethernet jacks in them and they wanted me to test the security of these ben devices so they brought one in and I was just fumbling around with it. And I thought, you know, I don't, I don't know this technology. So let me get online and see if I can find some, some information about it. Dude, I found hidden accounts. I found default passwords. I found just everything. Shit. And I went to, I went to hey, the company. And I, was like, like, I have to switch my, uh, my, my speaker, my, my earbuds dying. Uh, so I have to switch to my, um, <laughs> my, my main speakers. So we might get some echo, but it, I think we're almost done anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like the, the company wanted to know the security issues with these begin devices. And I didn't even know where to start. Once I found the manuals online, I just, I went nuts. I was like, you got to be kidding me. We're, we're not, we're deploying these by default with this configuration. And um, it's sad because a lot of those, those pumps, you know, that, that I've looked at don't have anybody around at all. You know, some of the well, oil they never fields. Do, you know, like, right. Yeah, and it's it's like there's there's no cameras, there's no nothing, and you look for sensors, you look for something that would notify, you know, somebody that you were there, but there are sites out there that that have absolutely nothing. And I'm not, I don't condone like physically breaking into somebody else's uh, equipment or you know causing problems, but you know, hopefully they'll secure that stuff up too, because a lot of our a lot of our grid, you know, you don't even have to you know do a cyber attack. A lot of the stuff you can physically destroy and take down a lot. Yeah. And that's why um, I don't that's what know. we do, but I wouldn't recommend doing it. Definitely not in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Um, so yeah, like, you know, I, I think there's, we have a long way to go when it comes to ICS and OT. Um, you know, and it, uh, it's, a lot of the world is going to OT. A lot of the world is going to go to, you know, embedded systems. Um, I thank God the Raspberry Pi came out. Um, you, you know, when that came out, it was a game changer as far as like 
you know, building devices and, and robots and, and controllers and motors. And I mean, it's just, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do with a Raspberry Pi. And Arduino. Um, right? I, I just, yeah, yeah. Arduino, uh, Raspberry Pi 1. Um, there, there's tons. But it, it would be nice to see a SCADA type or, you know, ICS OT type uh, lab set up with Raspberry Pis. I mean, that, that would be really cool. Oh, there are, um, people have done those. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like a red versus blue type deal. That would be fun. Again, the whole reason why we avoided hardware was because of scalability <laughs> and remote accessibility, mainly due to COVID, yeah. right? It wasn't too, like, um, we, so the game came out in uh, 2019, and in late 2019, and we expected to do all kind of cool stuff with it, with hardware and all this stuff like that. And of course, COVID hit, um, you know, in 2020. And so that derailed a bunch of stuff. So we had to yield to um, accessibility. But now that, yeah. you know, hopefully COVID is going to, you know, start to diminish. But ultimately, because when you're talking about, you know, individual training, yes, you know, buy the labs, get red, uh, right. get, uh, Raspberry Pi and stuff like that. But if you're talking about training a lot of people or, you know, being able to mass market something for a training solution, not for, not even for commercial purposes, just mass market um, and maybe mass, mass dis, uh, distribute, maybe not market, but like make something available to people because I think you're on the right track, right? You can, what if you created labs, created something open source to the community that is, hey, here's the instructions on how to build a SCADA lab or a DCS or whatever using Arduino and Raspberry Pi and all this. And then here's how to build up the, um, the process, the physical process with some tubes and some sensors and some valves. Um, right. That doesn't exist out there that I know of. And if it did, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that would be really nice. And I think that, you know, we could probably do some talking offline and, and talk about more of that, but that's kind of where we're going as far as like our deal with Rangeforce. Um, I want to have the ICS data physical testing. Um, it's got to be on site, but I think yeah. I think that I think that'll go over really well. I think you know that's that's what people need to see because of impact. Um, when you can see an exploit delivered and the impact it has, a physical impact, it's a different it's a different world. You know, new things come up. Um, anyways, dude, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and you know the, the new partnership is awesome. I, I think that you know it'll be good for both for both parties. And on that note, I'm going to talk about a little bit of news as far as a haunted hacker. Um, the podcast and the community goes. Uh, have a little bit of news that that might make a few people happy. Um, we have a paying sponsor now. Um, I'm not going to release that information until everything's signed and. and Checks from the mail. Um, but we do have a new paying sponsor. We also have some other things in the works um, as far as potential partnerships with com uh, companies. And we're also standing up physical groups within the Haunted Hacker now. I know that London um, is planning a meeting uh, of their chapter of Haunted Hacker, which I think is really cool. Uh, and it's really neat to start something and see it spread like that. I, I think it's it's it shows you know, we're on the right track as far as, you know, providing knowledge and not charging for it and just, you know, being, a, being an asset to the industry. Um, so we have that. Uh, we also have, I have a, a few personal um, 
things coming up that might take some time, uh, possibly a, a new position with a new company. Um, I won't go into that until after it occurs, if it occurs. Um, and uh, that's about it. Uh, we are spreading pretty quick. Um, you know, we have the Discord, uh, and we also are on all the podcasting platforms. Um, and hopefully we'll get a new connection shortly, and we'll be able to expand on that. Um, I'm also going to be doing a couple interviews offline uh, with a couple of guests that we can stream those videos during the podcast. Um, a couple of big names that you know obviously can't make it on a Saturday uh, because their schedules are super packed and that's their only time to relax. Um, <clears throat> but that'll be coming up shortly. And that's about it, man. Uh, Clint, you have any questions for us or for Ryan or for, for the haunted crew in general? You know, actually, so like I mentioned before, uh, this is really kind of like the beer ISAC community, which really kind of faded away during COVID. So I see you have, a, you have a lot of people that join here. Is this all part of the, you know, your discord, your, your haunted hacker community? In other words, you know, can, can I join? Do I have, you know, is there an initiation? Do I have to do something to sheep or something, but, or, you know, you know, how can I, um, I don't think we have any, Never mind. Uh, can, you know, you know, is this something that I can join now and hang out and view future podcasts with you guys and hang out here, you know, because uh, I think, number one, I would like to in general. Number two, I think uh, in an effort to uh, start building a partnership, I think I should. Absolutely, man. Yeah, you're, any, Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. But um, I would really appreciate if you'd come back and, and you know, maybe possibly help us co-host a show and, and you know, get involved with the community. Um, but, yeah, it's all one thing. So we have the YouTube channel. We have the Discord we have the podcast, we have the bulletin, which is now turning into a magazine, thanks to Ryan. Um, Ryan did some badass artwork Ooh. and template for the layout of the new magazine. And we're gonna have magazines coming out of the UK, Australia, the US, and potentially two other countries. I'm not sure yet. 2600, um, be damned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, we're uh, we're moving, we're, we're moving along. Um, and I think it, it's all attributed to the fact that, you know, we welcome everybody and there is no, I don't know if you remember back during the IRC days and during like BBS days, people who had some sort of knowledge became instant assholes on the internet. Um, and you tried to learn something from them and all you get is <laughs> RTFM, you know, and I hated that. You know, I, I had, I had friends that, that mentored me and helped me out. But if I went into a strange IRC channel that I've never been in before, you always got that that blast back but with us, you don't get that yeah yeah and here you don't get that you know we we yeah. welcome and accept everybody um so yeah man come back join the join the discord um and let's get well, the show rolling I, I yeah think, just, just yeah. count me cool. in I'll, I'll i'll participate on the discord um yeah I'll, I'll i'll be on these things and this is you know i feel like that uh the the beer isec you know has you know let me down during covid so i'll um, you know, count me in. I'll be here. If you want me to co-host, I'll co-host. Let me know what you need from me. I'll do it. Cool. But, uh, no, uh, I'm in just, uh, let me know what kind of sheep I need to get. <laughs> I'll think about that initiation process. I'll, I'll be in Texas, uh, in October, I believe, uh, for the Texas cyber summit. That's right. Yeah. We'll, I'll one. be there too. So we'll see each other. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining the podcast. Ryan, thanks again for co-hosting. You do a freaking fantastic job, and especially with, with all the stuff. A lot of people don't know 
all the things that Ryan does for the Haunted Hacker community, and it's absolutely insane. Um, getting guests, uh, setting up the event bright, putting out messages, co-hosting, just there's a, there's a, an endless list of shit that Ryan does. So I want to thank Ryan for that. Um, Thanks, but yeah, thank everybody, and and we'll see you guys uh, next Saturday. See you, man. Thanks for coming on, Clint. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Clint. I Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Adios.